0: hi this is Paul Gladder with Religion Unplugged podcast and I'm sitting in a backyard in an undisclosed location suburb in New Jersey and um, talking with a friend called JB and this whole conversation starts f- a few weeks ago really when I got a phone call and he said, I think I want to buy a gun. I'm wondering if you want to come to a gun store with me. And I want to find out, uh, why did you make that phone call initially?
1: You know, I've been very unsettled by the, the tone of the political discourse uh, across the country. Um, the What I perceive as the incitement of violence um, by a, uh, a lot of the leadership in this country and the response by people, um, my, my fellow citizens and you know when I when I look back through history and I see the rise of, of these kind of elements um, it happens very quickly and I think that that whether it's organized or not there's going to be repercussions and whether it's organized violence or whether it's random violence that is going to um, to, to increase and I'm I'm not sure that I do want to buy a gun, but what I do want is to educate myself about what the possibilities are, what the risks are, what the the challenges may be. And that was a step that I think is important to take at this stage. Uh, And and that's why I called you.
0: You also had told me two things interesting to me that you had spent some time in Israel and I had some previous experience with guns, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to hear about that. And then also we couldn't tell the religion of other people in the other maybe hundred or so people that were in and out of the gun store and gun range while we were there, except for about 30% of the group, which identified as Jewish by yarmulkes and you can explain hair curls. So more tended to be uh, uh, some different Jewish communities. And I'm curious just to hear your take on, on the kind of groups you saw there, um, how it related to your own experience. Sure.
1: Well, I, I grew up, I I don't, I don't have personally. I don't. Uh, I don't have an issue with the Second Amendment, the right to, to bear arms. I have a an issue with the way that that guns are regulated in this country, and um, so that's a starting point. I grew up. Uh, you know, periodically, I wouldn't say that I've I've used guns frequently throughout my life, but I've shot guns in in the past. Um, from from Magnum Desert Eagles to, to Colt 45s to rifles and shotguns and so forth. So I'm, I'm familiar with guns uh, and I don't have an aversion to them as an object and as a, a something uh, for, for hobby. I lived in Israel for about three years when I was very young and I would go back every year until I was about 17. I had family there, have family there. Um, I, I am you know, if I'm if I'm asked about what I feel about things, I think it's it's tragic uh, in in many ways. I think for for many people uh, on both Jewish, Palestinian, and and so forth, and I'm very disturbed, particularly by the things that are happening inside Israel politically. Um, but getting back to the to the range there were, as, as Paul mentioned, there were about 30% um, observant Jews of, of various distinctions. Some were were Chabad, which are the guys that have the, the curls on, on the side of their ears, called payas, and others look to me to be more Israeli, where they, they didn't look uh, outwardly religious per se, except that you would see the, the what are called tzitzim on the, the little, um, they were wearing the, the shawls underneath their shirts and you could see the corners of those hanging down uh, of their talis. So the, the shawls are called talis uh, or talit. And um, it, it was striking to me that, that some of them came with, with women you know when they're when observant Jews are, are similar to, uh, you know, I would say some Christian fundamentalists and, and Muslims in the relations between men and women, but they uh, they came with some women and, and when we were inside they were shooting just enormous guns yeah and you know it was it was clearly a a thrill of some sort for them <laughs> to shoot the biggest most powerful guns that they could get their hands on. Um, I can't really speak beyond that to what their thinking was, Hmm. but it was striking to me and, and I think we, we discussed this as well, that they weren't the only group. They were, they were just, you could see them that they were a percentage, maybe not quite 30%, maybe, maybe 20, um, but, but maybe it was just even less that they were just so noticeable, but there were, there were also, I would say that there was probably an equal percentage of, um, young black people who were who were between 20 and 30. And, and, you know, the rest was a a mix of of white folks. Um, Thinking about why people feel
0: under threat. um, And one, it's, you know, maybe ironic that the 30% of the the Jewish community that was there that we could see that that was their faith. Um, I don't know that they were as bothered by the graphics as we were, you know, or, or Gave, given pause by that, but I do wonder your take, and you know, kind of a sober moment here on um, Jewish identity, as we know, has had tragedy, in, in speaking of Nazi Germany, that's like the apex of it, of the tragedy and, and the na- nation of Israel uh, feels under threat by its neighbors and has been under threat, had wars, etc. People have to serve in the military there. And even in more recent years, in Pittsburgh, a place you and I have both spent time or lived at different points, um, you know, in my own neighborhood that I lived, there was a synagogue that was attacked and people murdered, you know, in the grossest form of anti-Semitism. And is that on your mind at all? Or, or and do you think it's on the other people's minds who are there? Uh, I'm just wondering if, if that is relates somehow, if there's a religious component of yours or, or the the others who have a different view, of course, a different uh, part of, of, re- of your religion, religion or ethnic group that uh, uh, that is maybe driving this feeling of threat of some kind.
1: Well, I, I think that I think it's important to note that that uh, Jews are not monolithic in their uh, political or worldviews, and and I think that that the people that we identified there as Jews, you know, people would not identify me as a Jew by looking at me, um, but but you would identify them because of the way that they dress. And, right. and that, that they are very, very different from me in their worldview and in their education and, and so forth and that they actually represent a minority and and that that typically the people who are more religious are like them are are the ones that are on the right uh, politically that I think take a more hawkish stance in in things um, that you know they're the ones who who will will support Benjamin Netanyahu which which I do not and um, but you know on the other side you have you have uh more secular Jews such as myself who represent the mainstream and and you know many many more Jews in fact when obama was was elected i think that that Jews were the uh aside from from african americans was the biggest um uh, percentage wise voting block that that voted for obama hmm. and i think that that there's that Jews are often mischaracterized and misunderstood and and painted you know when when Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem I think that most people thought oh that was you know what Jews want and what you know even most Israelis want and it, and it isn't the majority of Jews are are opposed to that because it's it's antagonistic and it's seen as antagonistic and and so forth um, but but um in terms of getting a gun and, and religiosity, you know it's, it's something as a Jew, I think that that what I've come to realize is that there are only 13 million Jews in the world. I mean it's, it's an absurdly small percentage of the world and yet the the amount of uh, blame that, that we take and the amount of, of stereotypes that uh, for controlling things, it, you know, you have to suspend disbelief to to believe some of these things. So um, and, and what I found is that because we're so small, that no matter what we say, it's it's a, a voice in a crowd of, of thousands and millions, you know, one Jew to to every 10 million people is is so we're often defined by other people in in not by what we say of ourselves and who we are and how we behave. Uh, so that's one thing. So I think that, that that is something that I'm I'm keenly aware of and concerned about because if the tide turns, you know, it doesn't matter what we say and it doesn't matter what we what we really want. It's what other people think of us.
0: There's a little lock here. See how it won't come down? Now that's loaded.
1: It kind of came to my mind as as the whole reason that I'm even considering it is that, you know, I feel that things are very uncertain. And, um, you know, over the last few years, I feel like they've they've been driven uh, to this point. And... You know in in I never before that have ever considered having a gun in my house um, and it's not that i I have an aversion to guns per se, but I never felt that I, I may need it or want it. and when it became a reality to in considering and I was thinking about getting one, I was thinking, well, how do I how would I get a gun without supporting? the movement which is you know the the opposing movement which i feel is the threat that that has um kind of created the situation where i feel that i need one and so if i want to get a gun i don't want to support the nra and i don't want to support you know the the, the fringe and um so where do people kind of either towards the center or or even on the left who who aren't opposed to guns or don't want to to kill the second amendment but but you know are are interested in in greater restrictions how do we participate in in gun ownership without supporting the the fringe that we're opposed to
0: yeah, so let's unpack that a little more. Uh, and by the way, this is timely for the for our listeners. I mean, we're in October. Uh, September, there were some earnings calls from gun companies like Smith & Wesson and, and other gun retailers. And from what I saw, uh, they were all talking on these calls that like 40% of their sales, more like triple their sales normally were to first-time gun buyers, that also to people of different parts of the ideological spectrum. So you're not alone, apparently, JB. But is your... Of reticence related to, you know, helping to keep those gun makers afloat?
1: Well, I. I don't have anything against the gun makers, per se, and, and they've been around before. I mean, when the NRA, if you look at the, the origins of the NRA, it's it's nothing like what it is today. And it was really something to educate people, and it was something that was... It's, first of all, it was founded in, in New York, in New York City. So, you know, when you think about who they are today and where they're supported, it's nothing at all like where they, where they came from. Um, and i don't have a a problem with the gun makers though i think that probably culturally their bread is buttered by by you know those fringe elements that i was referring to so it's not an issue of the gun makers it's an issue of the organizations like the nra that that i think see this as an absolutist zero-sum uh game where where they don't want to give any ground and that they that the idea of the right to bear arms in their minds is is absolutely immutable and that there's that even though it's been changed many many times the reality is is that you you know, an average citizen is not allowed to carry certain kinds of arms. And so the question is, what kind of arms should they be able to get? And, and should we be able to, to carry? And what are we going to just say, this is for our military who, or our police who we entrust with the safety of our community. And that's what a civil society should really be about. And you, if you can't have that discussion because people are so absolutist about it, then we have a real problem like we have right now. Yeah, and I
0: think I remember we, we were talking about our, again, our experience at the range that day. One thing interesting is when, when we inquired about home security, um, we were automatically drafted to take a, something related to NRA. It was almost as if as soon as you come into this gun store, as soon as you buy a gun, you're one of us. <laughs> it, can you explain that? how that worked exactly or how you felt that?
1: when i was uh when we were sitting waiting for uh our turn to go to the range there were all these posters on the wall and and aside from the graphics being uh not i wouldn't even say thinly veiled but but very very similar in in kind of tone to propaganda you know even nazi propaganda not to not to sugarcoat it you know the the kind of Uh, graphics the the red black and white and very bold fonts and and all of that but that the there were many many courses that that one could take that they were offering and many of which i thought were quite interesting but the ones that i would want to take like home security were not home security it was nra home security and and um that was very off-putting to me because in and that kind of speaks to the point i made earlier that how do people who are or center or on either side just either side of center how do we participate in this i mean i i think that there's a a a tremendous opportunity for a competing organization other than nra to come up and say hey there's a huge market here for people who don't want to support them who don't who believe in in you know some some uh um you know restrictions on on the kind of armaments that people can get or or how they get them and that we want to have an alternative to the nra I guess it raises just a couple
0: other interesting questions which is do people on the left or the center like the restrictions in place uh you and i talked about how to get a gun permit we would have to register 30 days it looks like and register with our local police and state police i'm curious like your exploration into buying a gun do you feel any sense of common ground on that lit sort of the libertarian point there?
1: Well I you know I can say that that I feel wholly comfortable with with you know registering with the government to say you know that that I'm going to have a gun in my house but that 's not an issue with the idea of having to register with the government that 's an issue with with the trust that the government has garnered or has not garnered in in recent years and you can see clearly whether you agree or not in the black community that there's no trust in the government and um, and you know that they share something with those libertarians that there is no trust so the question isn't whether or not I think whether there should be restrictions or regulations or change in regulations, that's the word I was looking for, but, but rather how does the, how do we create those in a way where there's trust on, on all sides? And short of having a solution for that, I, I would still err on the side of uh, trusting our civil structures like police, to say that we've already entrusted with our safety and say, okay, I may not feel 100% comfortable with this, but I have to put my money where my mouth is and and it's it's a lesser of two evils and I'm gonna register. Yeah.
0: I mean, do you think we will see are we going to be more like the Old West where more people across the spectrum are owning guns will this continue is this a is a short-term trend and w- will we actually see diversification will we be like Vermont I guess Vermont's a state that where Bernie Sanders is a is a senator right and supports gun control even though he's he's more uh, uh, against sort of Republican or, or uh, he's more progressive anti you know Republican kind of policies except gun control is an interesting exception because of his state, people like to have guns there. Or do you think this is a, a short-term trend driven by a current election cycle?
1: Well, I, it certainly feels like you know. I, I think it has to be noted that that I feel that that on on the right, on the far right of of this, that there is a push for um, you know more of the libertarian, you know, Wild West. Uh, uh, model. And and there's a reason that that we don't have that anymore. And just because we don't have it, people tend to, they, they glorify it. And and the reality is that the Wild West was known, if you do the research into the actual Wild West, it was incredibly violent. And there were murders all the time. And that's not, we, we decided as a country and, and every civil society is, has moved away from that model. So I certainly hope that Uh, That remains as a fringe ideology that that is not where we're going to we're going to end up. Um, On the other hand, I I do see that there are a lot of people buying guns and and believing in that. And it's being it's being kind of fostered from positions of power that I never heard in my lifetime uh, um, supporting such. Positions and you also have militias that are not being dealt with in ways that I think would be appropriate. So I, I think that this is a problem that it's it's you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So I don't think that it's just this election cycle and that it's going to go away. I think now that it's been fostered, whether you could you could say that it's because of this election cycle that it's been fomented, but I don't think that it's going to be an easy thing to put back in, in the bottle. Uh, so I think that this, unfortunately, is going to be with us for a long time. I, 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 and, and then in regards with regards to Bernie Sanders in Vermont, uh, I, I, you know, Vermont is the, I, I believe it's the poorest state in the nation. And it's it's very, uh, and, and I love Vermont, don't get me wrong, I'm just stating the fact. And, um, you know, it's also a very rural state. So I think that there are things that, that Work there and function there that wouldn't be the same in other states, and I think that that we do need to create some some federal um, standards, and that to have some uh, adjustability at the state level. But I think that that we have to set the minimum bar at the federal level. This is a very serious issue that a lot of people are are feeling right now, and I hope that it's all just precautionary and and that none of this. Uh, None of these concerns ever come to fruition.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's concerning when we had militia that was arrested for plotting to kidnap two governors—one in Michigan and apparently one in Virginia. That is concerning, and yeah, what what are Americans arming their teeth, arming themselves to the teeth for? You right. know, um, and you, and we certainly hope uh, uh, calmer heads prevail yeah. <laughs> as we get through this election, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so
1: much, JB. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by executive editor Paul Gladder, edited and produced by Peter Freeby. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged managing editor Megan Clark. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage, or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com, or follow us on Twitter at ReligionMag.
1: And on that, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Eddie Van
0: Halen died of cancer, it looks like. What? Yeah. Cancer. Yeah, I got the notice while I was in there. I was gonna tell you the news, oh, no. but we were oh, kind of hot and no. heavy with the guns. I, I wouldn't <laughs> be able to shoot. Through, I wouldn't be able to shoot through the tears. Yeah. <laughs>